Blog Talk Radio. One of these weeks, I'm going to figure out how to make theme music work, but it's not going to be this week. Uh, welcome to Let's Talk Tribe. This is your host, Jason Lucart. It's uh, Wednesday night. Uh, the Indians played a doubleheader today at Progressive Field against the Padres. They split it, which is mildly unsatisfying. Uh, but the good news is both starting pitchers looked really good. Uh, Zach McAllister started the opener and went seven and two-thirds innings. Uh, shout out. Shut up baseball, uh, eight strike, seven or eight strikeouts, no walks, uh, looks really good. Maybe his best start as an Indian. And then in the second game, Trevor Bauer, who had been in Columbus, was called up because of the rain out causing the doubleheader. And Bauer looked really good too. Uh, kind of a, a, a strange call in the first inning and in this Drupal Cabrera air led to an unearned run. But uh, he only allowed one earned run in six innings and Eight strikeouts, two walks. I think it was maybe his best start as an Indian, too. So the offense sort of let the team down today, but the pitching looked great, and I think that's a good sign. Anyway, I want to get my guest on here so I can talk to someone else. Uh, my guest this week is Ryan Richards, who's been a part of Let's Go Tribe for got to be going on a decade. Ryan, how are you? Pretty good, Jason. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I... Uh, feel a little better if the offense has scored two more runs today, but uh, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, yeah, that, that, it was kind of disappointing for the, that kind of start to be kind of wasted, I guess. Because, uh, I mean, I didn't, wa- I didn't watch the game either on TV. I'll, I'll certainly watch it, you know, on, um, you know, on demand to see how he looked. But given how he how everything sounded on you know how the game was called on the radio it sounded like Bauer was really impressive and kind of became the prospect or the pitcher that we thought he was going to be when they acquired him a couple of years ago yeah I, I got to watch like you I have a job so I couldn't sit around watching <laughs> but during a break I watched a couple innings uh, while Bauer was pitching and thought he looked good. Have you, I'm sure you've at least heard about the strange play in the first inning with Elliot Johnson making, but not making the catch. Have you heard anything about this? Yeah, I kind of saw, saw that on Twitter and, uh, it was kind of bizarre because of course I didn't see it, but based on how they described it, I mean, how it was calling the radio, they were sure that it was going to be called an out and, um, Hamilton was kind of pretty shocked that it was called, you know, the ball, ball was real to be, be safe, you know, that was a hit. And then they reviewed it. They said, well, they're, surely they're going to overturn this. But then they said, no, it's not a catch because apparently they, I guess, modified one of the rules for making a catch, which seems kind of strange to change something so fundamental to the rules of baseball and it right. get no, virtually no publicity. But apparently it's kind of like the NFL's Byzantine rules of a catch where you have to take the ball out of the glove or, you know, cleanly without it dropping. There's no more he caught it, but he dropped it on the transfer call, according right. to that ruling. Which, and so that was – that's bizarre. I've, I I didn't see like that coming. That, that 
adjustment to the rule had to be made with double play balls in mind or, you know, plays at second base where the guy's trying to make a really quick exchange and the ball's barely in his glove at all. And I can, I can see why you might want some clarity on that. But, I mean, Johnson caught the ball, took like three more steps, stopped, turned around. The ball was, you know, in his glove for, I don't know how, I mean, it just seems like that's got to be a catch. And however the rule is yeah. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. It, it might it might it might have seemed great on paper, but it, it's one of those things that if it looks like a catch. It has to be a catch. It, I mean, that's how that's how all of us kind of grew up on the game. I mean, that's and to just say it's not a catch anymore. That I, I heard the well, fans the all uh, the rest of the yeah rest of the game was given the the first base umpire of the business. But I, according to the rules, he he made the call right. I don't think the rules very good. Right. No, I think that's the case too. But I think from a uh, subjective point of view, you know, you're a week into this new replay system and, you know, the Indians challenge a call and it seems clear it's going to be overturned. And then to have them come out and say, nope, we got it right. I have to think, at least in Cleveland, a lot of fans are not going to be behind the new replay system after the way today went down. Well, in this case, I I think it's, I mean, the replay system – there was really nothing to replay, I, I think, because the I think well, the umpire again, I, as the rule as written, apparently, he made made that the right call, the rule the rules right. interpretation. But I think the issue is not with replay in this in this case, it's with the rule itself, which uh, I think it's got to be looked at. <laughs> right. at. At least give the umpire more. Um, and, you know, I hate to say this, but give them more interpretation because that it's for for anyone any fan that's watched the game even just casually that that's a, that's a catch right all right so we're we're nine games in the indians are 5 and 4 which doesn't sound particularly impressive but you go 5 and 4 all year and you win 90 games um what else has jumped out at you let's let's uh, let's how about let's go with pitching uh you know McAllister and Bauer both looked really good today Nine games in, what kind of general thoughts do you have on the starting rotation? Um, a couple starts into it. It's, it's really still kind of hard to tell. I mean, the weather's been, you know, typical early spring Midwest weather. And so maybe that has something that's been affecting that. So we won't really know probably until they get three or four starts. And you can judge stuff. And I don't think anyone besides – um, Vinny Pisano, you could say, well, this stuff doesn't look good at all. It's it's usually control command type of type of issues to this point. Justin Masterson's second start, Kluber's first start, McAllister's first start, Salazar's first start. So, but I mean, I, I have beyond Pisano, I don't see anything to get really worried about to this point. You know, Axford's looked pretty good actually, a little better than I thought he was going to look. And the rest of the bullpen's been great. Yeah, I was – Axford, he's got four saves already. Um, I think my, my my standards for what a closer should look like have been so skewed by following the Indians for so long that he's four for four, and it's like, oh, yeah, a couple, you know, guys on second and third, whatever, not a big deal. Uh, <laughs> I think if I was used to watching Mariano Rivera for 20 years, I'd maybe have a little less confidence in Axford right now. But 
four for four. I'll take it. Um, okay, okay. By the Bob Wickman, uh, Chris Perez standards, he's looked pretty good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. exactly. Put it that way. Bobrovsky saving what, like forty-five games with an ERA of like five-three or something like that. Um, <laughs> it's a phase, man. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about the different starters, and as you said, everyone's had you know one game where the end results didn't look that good. Uh, but Masterson and Kluber and McAllister have also now had one really good start. Hopefully Salazar has one tomorrow. Uh, and again, you know, Bauer looked really good today. I thought it was pretty clear Carrasco was going to be the fifth starter this year to start, uh, to begin the year, unless he looked really shaky in spring, just because he can't, he doesn't have any options left. But I still do not have a lot of confidence in him. I'm curious especially with Bauer looking good in Columbus once and now in Cleveland once. I don't think – not that he should be rushed, but what's your how, – how much rope does Carrasco have in your book? Um, yeah, you, I, I agree with your interpretation of the Carrasco decision. It's kind of they had to make that decision or it, unless he was completely awful because right. they had no options and he was going to get claimed by somebody. So they kind of – were kind of forced it, and because of their lack of depth, they just couldn't get you know just let him go. Unfortunately, unfortunately, they let go Aaron Harang, who's actually looked good the first couple of starts. Yeah. But I, I, they, you know, but again, they, they it's those roster decisions that sometimes isn't really made based completely on the pitcher's merit, but the roster status. So I right. think in this case, that's why they they picked Carrasco because he and Tomlin were kind of dead even as far as performance in the spring. So they defaulted to taking the, you know, the the one that gave them the most flexibility, which is optioning Tomlin out. As far as how much um, rope they're going to give him, I, it depends. If he's if he's just decent, I think they'll they'll keep with him. Uh, obviously, if he has a repeat of 2013, he's not going to get much rope at all, especially if Bauer continues that the trend we saw today and just completely dominates AAA hitters. And, you know, and we saw today – even though the Padres aren't, I mean, really a, a good offensive team, he just this again. I haven't seen him yet, but based on the the reports and the you know sitting mid nineties, you know the right. breaking stuff is just lots of swings and misses. That kind of, the major league hitters, regardless of on good teams or bad teams, they're usually going to tell you how good your stuff is, and based on their the swings and misses and the just the the weak outs and that kind of stuff, he he pitched great. And if that continues. It's going to be hard to justify to keep Bauer in the minors and have a struggling Carrasco, you know, in the rotation. Right. Yeah, I I said before the season in, in one inning in a Carrasco start that he's got three starts if I'm the manager. And, you know, he, he looked really bad early and then, you know, looked a little better later in his first start. Um, but if he doesn't put up a – a good game in his first three starts and Bauer puts up a couple more good starts in Columbus, I'd switch. And if that means you lose Carrasco, uh, I guess I'd roll the dice that he's never going to get it together. Uh, but I think I'm probably a little less patient than Francona is. So we'll see. Um, yeah. And they, the and they, about, and they still could, they could, they still could just move him to the, to the bullpen. Like he had some success last year on the bullpen and he could be like a, what the Royals did with Luke Hoshaver basically turn him in, yeah. you know, turn him into a, a good setup man. Maybe that's where he will succeed. But as far as the rotation is concerned, I don't think I'm with you. I, I think if, if there's, if the difference is that it's continues to be as great as it is now between the two, 
then he won't last the month of April in the rotation. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, he's got to be well, he's probably pitching Friday, I think. And who knows? Maybe he'll look lights out. That'd be nice. Um, coming back to the rotation for one last thing to talk about Justin Masterson, who there was all this, you know, back and forth before the season about he supposedly offered the Indians this kind of contract and they offered him that sort of contract. It seems like if you can believe what's been reported by multiple sources, he was willing to play, he was willing to sign for a, a two, an extra two years would have been 2015, 2016 for like 17 million a year. Uh, and a lot of Indians fans flipped out when they heard the the front office wouldn't go for that. If that was true, uh, what's your what's your take on them not going for that? Uh, I I've been a fan of them, you know, signing uh, Massa because I think he's a better shot. He was a better shot going forward than Ubaldo Jimenez. I thought so. I figured if they're going to spend money on bringing Ubaldo Jimenez back and they didn't do that, I'd be fine with that if they were able to extend Masterson because, you know, the, the road, you know, uh, after Bauer, uh, as far as the, the farm system is concerned, there isn't that much high ceiling pit, starting pitching in the system, at least in the foreseeable future. Right. And so, and because pitching is starting pitching, especially is so expensive on the free agent market. I mean, the best you're going to do for the Indians is the next Scott Kazmir or, you know, the equivalent kind of a guy, you know, you're trying to, you know, catch lightning in a bottle with. So if it's if it's even somewhat reasonable, you know, if they have a, do have to do a slight overpay, I'd do it. You know, given that some money, you know, as Drupal Cabrera is going to come off the books this year and, you know, Chris Perez was gone now. So they don't really have too many bad contracts. And I know they've, they, you know, spent the spring trying to get several of their younger core players signed, but I think Matheson still is is something that I think they really need to. It's probably too late now, because once you get into the season, it's it's really hard to uh, to get get a, get a deal done because a pitcher sees I just have this this season and I can, you know, make a lot of yeah. money. So, but yeah, I, I think they are making a little bit, if those reports are true, I think they are making a mistake and, and not taking them up on that. Of course, we me, don't know the details. Is, yeah, yeah that's, and it's true. But if that's true, that he was willing to go for just an additional two years, I feel like the risk with pitchers especially, but with, with any big contract, it's not how much you're paying them a year. It's how many years you're paying them for. Like Robinson Cano's crazy long contract, it's fine to pay Robinson Cano 25. You could pay him $30 million a year. But when he's 37 years old or when it's six years away and who knows what's going to happen. But I think if Masterson was willing to sign for just two years, especially, you know, now they've got the core, the position players are going to be, other than Lindor sliding in for Cabrera, largely unchanged the next couple of years. And it feels like it'd be a shame to lose the team's best pitcher. And I'm not the accountant for the Indians, but it feels like, like you said, with Cabrera's money going away and I know they're, you know, they've got some other contracts, but it's not like they're, I don't think they'd have to go over a hundred million to keep him. And, uh, you know, we'll see, but I, I think the ship has sailed in him. Like you said, once the season gets started, he's too close to a much bigger payday than he was apparently willing to go for. Uh, yeah, and that, that's usually 
yeah, there, there's usually the the player from the player standpoint. They say, you know, we're I'm two years away from free agency. A lot can happen between now and then. You never know what can happen. But once you're in the season and you can see, basically, I'm 29 starts away from becoming a free agent. Then a lot of the reason to make that to take a little bit less and find that you know a slight hometown discount goes out the window. From you know, each each player obviously has a different set of you know set of circumstances, but. I would think that probably the chances of the Indians signing Masterson now to an extension is pretty limited unless they're still talking. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, Kipnis's extension got worked out a little after the season started, but that was clearly just wrapping up negotiations that have been going on. Whereas Masterson, at least supposedly the negotiations sort of totally stopped. Um, well, speaking of Kipnis and let's, let's shift gears to the, to the offense, to the lineup. Uh, you know, the big story coming into the season was Carlos Santana being moved to third base. And then kind of what would that mean for Lonnie Chisenhall? It seems like Lonnie Chisenhall has sort of hit his way into pretty regular playing time as a DH. Uh, have you been able to, to watch Santana much at third yet? Or just, you know, from what you've seen, what's your early response to the move? Yeah, it's it's probably, you probably have to, I mean, defense is so hard to judge on a, you know, to you know a weak basis because it's based on what the hitters hit to you so if you i don't think he's fielded a, a lot of bunts you know going coming in and throwing on the run that that's unique to third base or you know he hasn't done it's 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 gonna it's gonna kind of work itself out it kind of as the season goes but i can't i do say this he he looks okay i mean he's he's probably gonna you know he's probably gonna be rated one of the one of the worst defenders at third base, and that's fine because as long as you're at a certain level, you're not giving away too many runs um, in the field. You you you're gonna have, you're gonna live with it because he's gonna you know be a he's gonna be an offensive weapon. Right. But you know, so far it, it the the experiment is so far is working. I, to what extent yeah, I, I, it's gonna work, I don't know. I wrote a couple times running, you know, during spring training about my sense that Lonnie Chisnall has sort of been kicked aside by a lot of fans too quickly, given that he was only, you know, he just turned 25 during the off season and he had pretty bad luck on balls and play last year. So I was, I was concerned after the Oakland series when he only got two plate appearances in three games that he was the guy who was going to get sent down when, you know, Bourne or Giambi or once they were both back, but lo and behold, he's been, in a small sample, of course, but he's been the best hitter on the team right now, followed by Niger Morgan. And I don't know what kind of odds you could have got on Lonnie Chisinau and Niger Morgan leading the offense through nine games. Uh, when Bourne and Giambi come back, so a two-part question. When the two of them are back, who do you think gets sent down? And then who would you send down if it was your decision? Well, let me get to you know, let me play ban or GM for first, I guess. I I was just thinking, if, assuming that eventually Terry Francona is going to have to have a seven-man bullpen and a four-man bench with Giambi, there's no way you can have basically two position players on your bench plus Giambi. It, I don't care how much he likes his, a, a big bullpen, you can't do that. So assuming you have three position players plus Giambi. I, I think I would I would have Rayburn, who obviously is going to be a kind of platoon with, uh, with Murphy. Um, Mike right. Avila is to cover the infield positions. 
and uh, Niger Morgan as the kind of full-time outfielder with Chisenhall being mostly a DH part-time third baseman. Right. And that, that means John B is a, is a, is, you know, more of a, even more of a part-time player than before, because I, I mean, he's, he's a year older. He's not going to be able to play as much. So someone's going to have to DH. Right. And, and they still have enough positional flexibility with Avilas and, you know, both Chisenhall and, um, Santana able to play third base and a little bit of first base. And of course, Rayburn could, you know, could Elliot Johnson is the guy. I don't, don't really understand why they, they kept him, you know, added him to the roster. I guess he can play outfield outfield and be a fourth outfielder, but with Morgan playing the way he is, are you going to really play Elliot Johnson over Morgan in the outfield? Warren comes back. And, you know, you already have Rayburn that can play as well. So that's what I would do if I were the manager and, or GM and slash manager. Right. What will happen? <laughs> I'm kind of on the fence with this because Chisenhall is hitting so well. They, and they generally have gone with a hot hand. I, you know, think back to Jan Gomes. They very easily yeah. last year could have said, uh, you know, Gomes, you've been hitting pretty well, but, you know, we told Santana's the starter until he, you know, proves he's not the starter. But, no, they, they went with a hot guy. So I'm hoping they'll go with that configuration, Giambi, Rayburn, Avilas, Morgan, with Chisinau, DH. But the easy way, would because Chisinau has an option, is to send him to AAA and kind of go with a, you know, what they planned on at the beginning of the season. And obviously send um, send a reliever down to make it a seven man bullpen. Probably probably CC Lee. Yeah, who who just came up to replace Pistano. Um Yeah, God, I I sure hope it's not just no. You're gonna, there's going to be a pretty furious post from me at the site one day if Chisenhall gets sent down. I feel like Johnson got to be the position player to go. I just worry about whether they're willing to send a reliever down yet or not. Um, I think they should for the reasons you said. I also think it would be nice if Jason Giambi could maybe strain his hamstring and just not come back for a while. Even Bourne coming back, you know, I I think it would be Johnson sent down, which I, I think is probably the right move. As you said, they have so much versatility even without him on the roster and you know, yeah, and, and with and with Johnson, I mean, you have as far as infielders go, you have you know Sellers um, on the forty man roster, Jose Ramirez on the forty man roster, um, and the outfield, you know, Morgan's kind of stepped up a little bit, and you you know you have some other guys in AAA that could play that role. So it's not like you're losing you know an irreplaceable player in Elliot Johnson. He's kind of the definition of replacement right now. So. Right. I think that's what I would do, and I'm hoping, given how Chisinau and Morgan have been playing lately, that's what the Indians will do. Morgan, who I, I think has you know has been playing better than any of us could have had any reason to hope for, even. Uh, but it cracks me up how many people have already gone to trade born, get rid of him, make Morgan the everyday starter. <laughs> it's, it's been a week. Uh, so. <laughs> it's a week. He was to make an MLB roster last year, and in 2012, he was one of the worst players in the league. So it's it's great that he's done as well as he has always been up. But I'm yeah. not sure we should hand him center field for the season just yet. 
Yeah, and, and when, when I talk about Morgan, it's not Morgan versus Bourne. It's Morgan versus Elliot Johnson. So it's a little bit different right. when you're comparing to Michael Bourne is a pretty long track record of being a very good player. That, you yeah. know, defensively, uh, I'm sure he, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a major step up from Morgan to Bourne just on defense right. and base running, obviously, except as well. And, and offense will, you know, we'll see. I mean, and, but Bourne has the track record. And so I no no going that rail, that's going way off the deep end right now. Right. Um, the other thing I want to touch on is I know you're, you've been paying a pretty, pretty close attention to some of the minor league stuff early in the year too. Uh, the prospect Indians fans are most interested in and will be and, and until he's no longer a prospect uh, is Francisco Lindor. So how is, how has he done in the first week or so of the minor league season? Well, he's pretty much been kind of picked up where he left off, you know, last year. I mean, he ended the year with, you know, on the DL with, uh, I guess some, some back issues, but apparently that it hasn't affected him. And he's, he's been great hitting for power. I mean, that's the, that's the thing that, you know, going into last season, people, you know, you wonder would would he ever hit for power, you know, you know, ho- you know, home run power. And he's, right. you know, again, he's, he's, he's 20 years old. So, <laughs> so that, that he's hitting for power in at the double A level, which is kind of a, a tough transition for a young player that, that, that says a lot. And his defense is, we've never been in doubt of his defense. So, uh, Knock on wood, he's, he's going to be a special player. Yeah, I don't know if you saw Baseball Prospectus did a thing a couple of days ago where they, they asked general managers and some scouting directors and people in, in various front offices uh, if they could have one shortstop prospect, because there are some great shortstop prospects right now. I think like five of the top ten prospects in baseball are shortstops. But if they could pick one of them to build a team around, and more of them picked Lindor than the rest of the guys put together. And the, the BP staff, their scouting staff, was asked the same question. And, and same thing, more of them picked Lindor than, than anyone else. Um, I, I, I've seen him play in person once, and it's so easy to get carried away when you see someone and talk to someone a little bit. And uh, <laughs> So I won't pretend that actually means anything, but I – I don't know the last time I was excited about a prospect. I didn't know as much about prospects, you know, say six, seven years ago. Uh, but certainly in the, the five years I've been paying close attention, there's no one I've been as excited about. Uh, what do you think his ETA is? Um, I, I still think opening day of next year, um, because obviously, unless as Rubel Carrera gets hurt, you can't just bench him unless he's just awful. Right. And, it, I, I just don't see it. I, I see Azdrubal Cabrera ending the season as the Cleveland Indians shortstop, going into free agency, signing somewhere else, and Francisco Lindor is the starting shortstop next year. Yeah. I mean, now obviously things can change, and and you know, and there's there's players in between that that can do, be a stopgap. So if something Mike Avila's could could very well fill in at shortstop for a couple months if need be. Yeah, you know, for instance. So I, I don't, I, and I think it's more important for the Indians to finish up his development. You know, just make sure they have everything, you know, covered and that they can pretty much start without any restrictions on his, you know, on him uh, beginning next year, and they can he can start, you know, start on the ground running. 
Is there and, and as, again, and no as far as as far as that baseball prospectus kind of uh, it's kind of interesting because as you mentioned, there's a lot of excellent shortstop prospects in the majors, so it's not like he was, you know, co- the competition isn't that good. There's a there's a lot of excellent excellent shortstop prospects, but I think it's kind of his defense is so special, and they know he's going to be a shortstop. There's no, I mean, some of the other ones you could see them moving off shortstop. They're more right. of an offensive prospect, but I think it's a lot of GMs are kind of conservative as far as they don't want to take risks. And, right. I, and probably I'm guessing Francisco Lindor represents the lowest risk of those prospects. In other words, the the lowest floor or the highest floor. Right. Yeah, I think uh, I think this November the Indians should offer him like a 10-year. Thirty-five million dollar contract, <laughs> and see if we'll go for it. <laughs> and just pencil him in, uh, pen him in, ink him in at shortstop for a decade. Uh, are there any other <laughs> prospects who who have who've jumped out at you? Well, I mean, again, it's a it's a week, and a lot of things right. can look good or bad in a week. But um, Jesus Aguiar, um, obviously, has been was t- tore up the winter leagues last year, uh, last winter. And this uh, this spring, he's kind of been, you know, picked up where he left off in the winter league standpoint. So prior, I mean, going into the, you know, winter, they were gonna Indians were gonna protect him on the forty man roster, but I guess a lot of people, you know, kind of penciled him as kind of a kind of a, a tweener. Kind of he's gonna really, in other words, they said he's really gonna have to hit to stay at the major leagues because his defense is okay, but not you know that great. And he's right. kind of lived up to really going to hit so far. So, uh, so he's kind of more from a kind of a minor guy you think about to maybe he can contribute at the major league level, maybe as a DH, maybe as a part-time first baseman. You know, he's in Columbus, so he's right on the cusp of you know if something happens, they could very easily he could easily be playing for the Indians sometime this year. Right. Yeah, it's nice to see a prospect with some power because that hasn't been a real strong suit for the farm system lately. Uh, I, well, I said the prospects would be last, but real quick thing, I'm going to put you on the spot. Last week, I we did the thing at Let's Go Tribe, kind of get to know you, asking readers just to, I think I put up like 15 questions for them to respond to. Uh, and one of them was, was favorite all-time Indian. And your answer blew me away because your answer was Jensen Lewis. Uh, and I love when someone's favorite player is a fairly random guy. Uh, so I, I want to hear whatever backstory there might be on how you became a big Jensen Lewis fan. Well, it's it's kind of, you know, because you kind of – he's kind of like one of us if they were a good baseball player and got to the major leagues and played for the Indians because he grew up an Indians fan. Um, and, you know, he – when I, you know, we we're first starting Let's Go Tribe and Twitter was kind of kind of growing too. He was um, he was on Twitter and kind of he broke the news that he got the call up to uh, to the majors on Twitter. So that was kind of one of the first kind of breaking news Twitter kind of news things that I at least I can remember on the baseball side. And so you know he took a per, you know pretty good interest in in that. And of course he's kind of like a an underdog kind of kind of prospect. He didn't really, wasn't really highly touted. And of course, he you know that uh, 2007 ALCS did a great job in a couple of those games. So I don't know. It 
it's it's favorite player, not best player, right? So. Oh yeah, 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 no, kind of, absolutely, no, no, no. I, I I don't bring this up to question your choice at all. I think it's outstanding. Like I said, I I my favorite Indian is Tomei, but I mean that's like the most boring answer possible. <laughs> Uh, well, and, and it's and it's not like Jensen Lewis is the only one. I mean, like Victor Martinez, obviously. Sure. You know, how can you not like him? Um, Travis Hafner. Um, but you know, it's like you know, he's a un, un, one of my unconventional favorites. So I decided to bring bring that up. Uh, I like it. Strong choice. All right. Well, Ryan, thank you for taking the time. And uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll check in maybe in a you know sometime in in May or something like that. And and Hopefully the season's going well, and I'll, I'll check in again with you then. Okay, sounds good. All right, take it easy. Okay, again, that was Ryan Richards, who's a, who's a writer at Let's Go Tribe and was a longtime manager of the site. Um, like I said, the Indians split the doubleheader with the Padres today. Tomorrow morning they'll head off for, for my hometown, for Chicago, for four games with the White Sox. I'm planning to go to the Saturday game, weather permitting. Um, and then they got a day off on Monday, and then they go to Detroit for the first series with the Tigers this year. So that'll be a big one, at least as any as big as an April series can be. The, uh, if they can make it back to Cleveland with a winning record still, I think it'll have been a good, a good week. Um, yeah, I don't know. Trevor Bauer looked great today. Danny Salazar should be pitching tomorrow, followed by Carrasco, and then back to Masterson on Saturday. And uh, I think it's been a pretty good start to the season. The the, the offense has been kind of hit or miss, but all in all doing pretty well. And uh, Masterson had a really good start. Kluber had a really good start. McAllister had a great start. Bauer looked good today. Uh, you know, if he gets a chance to come up, it'd be great to see Salazar put together a good start and then Carrasco. So everyone had one. Uh, anyway, we'll talk again soon. This has been Let's Go Tribe. And uh, like I said, we'll talk again soon. I'm repeating myself. That means it's time to go.